Hey, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? Coming to you live from the few minutes after ending a work day. <laughs> yeah. How how is your health? That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you mean my eye? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get through a whole day, so but we don't look at each other on this podcast, which is great. Um, I hate having to like look at myself. Especially if my eye's irritated or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. During meetings, it's yeah. exhausting. No, it's... Uh, the, the, w- is it mandatory to have the video on? F- man- mandatory? Or mm, that sounds a bit to, drastic. No, but, but like, it's kind of rude if you're in a small, smaller meeting um, and you're the only one off. It comes off as like... I know, but, but it, do you ever say, thing. let's do a voice-only meeting? Mm, sometimes, but... Mm. Yeah. I just try and do eye exercises and stuff like that. But anyway, enough about my eye. I feel like it dominates this podcast. It's not, it's not uh, the good eye podcast. It's the bad eye podcast. Okay. Actually. Okay. <laughs> but and my voice, the... you can hear, is like from a day of talking, right? Yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit hoarse. So we don't have a specific question, but we can just uh, <clears throat> shoot the shit, as they say. Well, yeah. I mean, hmm, indeed. Where I does guess that expression like come from? Shooting the shit? Was it... Back in the day, people would uh, do target practice on cow dung or something. Mm, I think it's more like stuff coming out of your mouth. Because it doesn't mean just uh, spewing like bad things out of your mouth or something. Like I, waste. I don't know. I, I know, for example, in, <clears throat> in Dutch, when they say shut up, they say hold your waffle. It literally translated because back in the day, if you if you're distracted, you would make your waffle in the fireplace with an iron. And if you didn't hold it well, it would start to burn and smell. So, mm. the, yeah. So shoot the shit must have some old habit, something that I imagine it came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I did a business workshop with an artist recently who proposed creating a waffle iron business, but I, you just helped me connect it to the Netherlands. Thanks. Yeah. Did they invent the waffle? I don't know, but they have the stroopwafel, the, the one with the yeah, sort of waffle. a caramel layer in between, very thin mm-hmm. cookie waffle. It's quite delicious. <clears throat> Indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a bunch of stuff has happened over the last couple, because it's been a couple of weeks. We did kind of skip a week. like Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, we're very behind. casual. Yeah. We're not very strict. <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, so my studio space starts in two weeks, but I've been oh. um, getting ready. Like, Casey nice step. I got a new desk and a new chair. And then I, I've been looking at a lot of YouTubes on painting techniques. And then I got a, a lot of supplies. So I, I want to have enough that I can start on day one. So mm-hmm. I have like a... A Home Depot shopping cart that's filled, and then I can order it that it's delivered on the day that I start, and then stuff like that. Did you get a, a like a Setu chair or something? No, totally not at all. This is not a computer space, so it's like a, a stool, but with a soft uh, mm. cushiony thing and wheels, uh, but no back support. So I, I figured this is more of an active studio and uh, more physical. Mm, that'll I, be interesting. I think you'll be sore the first little while. Yeah, let's let's find out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's the whole <laughs> yes, thing. Like, I, I want to make pretty big paintings, so my natural instinct I'm more of a desk worker than a painter. So, 
my instinct is, oh, I'll have some tables and the painting will be on the table and I'll approach it like a, a printmaking studio more than like a painter with an easel mm-hmm. and a thing on the wall and, and that whole thing. So yeah, just see. before we got on the podcast, I was saying I have this amazing desk, but it's... um. Oh yeah, can you it's give a us huge... a sound demo of your desk? Because that's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, like that's the sound of a additional extension coming out. Many drawers. I have a, a drawer just full of laptops. But the best thing about the table is it's a partner's desk. Have you ever heard of a partner's desk? No. It's like you sit opposite your partner. So oh, there's okay. another, it's like two desks in one. Yeah. But it's also large enough for like a 40-inch print to be rolled out on it. It's uh, like a photographer's kind of surface area. Where did you get the disc? But, well, the former uh, owners of this home were photographers, and they had it as their kind oh. of work desk, artist so work So they just desk. left it there. But, yeah, I think every artist dreams of a large surface area that you can... It's you funny know, that of, you say that, because I, I collected desks at some point. To, like, I moved out of my house to go to art school. And I didn't have any furniture. And then in the art school, they had these old drafting tables that I'd always dreamed of. They're very big Mm. and you can change the angle and the height, like an architect's (laughs) drafting table. Yeah. And I got it and I had this other table table to do collage. And then I had a desk with the the old computer that I described last episode and and had all this surface area. And then I ended up minimizing more and more because I kept moving. So I ended up not using it that much. It's funny because I had a I had an architect's table like that too, the ones that tilt, yeah, uh, desk, and it ended up being like, I took it into my like software work office, and then people would complain about it, and then I would try and advertise how great it was. <laughs> we needed a space like a large space for drafting in software, which made no sense to anyone. Yeah. Um, but I, I was yeah. like, I clung to it for years. I I even had a. So I would find all these things on Marktplatz, also the, this, uh, the Dutch eBay. And you could find things for dirt cheap because people don't need a drafting table or whatever. So I found this drafting table that was a massive light box. Like, mm, that's let, amazing. Let's say two by one and a half meters. It was so heavy. I think I had to, maybe some friends of mine who had a band <laughs> had a van and we picked it up. And uh, I think I did a residency in Paris and I brought that whole drafting table to Paris even and after that, I started moving to different countries and then I had less and less possessions. So. But that's when you're like, you know, when you say I, I brought the whole thing to Paris, it reminds me that now you just put a laptop in your knapsack, but that's essentially yeah. your drafting table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but people would have carried around their equipment, like but including their table at some point. It's funny with what you're saying about your drawer full of laptops. I, I never have more than one computer in my life. And so now that I have the studio, am I like, do I have my one computer at the studio and then when I'm home there's no computer or do I walk back and forth with that computer or do I get a second computer? Mm, I vote for a second computer because you're lazy. So It's probably going like, to be a second computer but then I don't want to get buy one right now because it seems end of the yeah. year there's going to be all kinds of new uh, laptops and iMacs yeah, and yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah. But the number one reason for you is like here's the scenario. You finish at the studio, you're going to go meet a friend for dinner. Maybe you're going to go out that evening. You know, you have the laptop that you brought from home. It's a Friday night. Yeah. You're not going to be going into the studio on the weekend. Yeah. Mm, what do you do? I know. I you know. bring it no, with you. It, what it's an inconvenience. Even, uh, Christina worked with me for a year, so we bought her a much more powerful laptop than mine. Like, uh, she needed the, the beefy one for 3D work. 
But now she has a, a regular job again, and uh, they provided her with an even better computer. So I could probably use that computer for a while until... I've never owned a, a, one of those new iMacs. So that seems cool. Maybe I'll do that. Oh, the colorful ones? Yeah, I like them. Yeah. yeah, so maybe another update that happened recently is Apple released a bunch of new products, which is no news to anyone. That's like not really like we're breaking breaking the news. What was it? The new, new watch and new iPhones? Yeah, but the, the thing that I haven't seen anyone talk about yet, but I was, I almost was like, oh, maybe it's time to upgrade. But like the upgrade cycles now for a new phone, for me anyways, like five years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, this one in particular is extremely p- powerful. Like it's using a, a chip that's kind of superior to what's in a laptop, which was kind of the first yeah. time I've seen But how seen often that. are you waiting for renders on your phone? Because <laughs> it does like live ray tracing or whatever. I know, I know. I know but I just but thought it was it yeah. was like unique. And then also the price point, it's like a laptop price point. Yeah, like, but it's really for me, it's funny like to have these, these, these phones that are more powerful than your laptop and no one does anything else than just scrolling through Instagram. Well, that's not true. I do. I perform with my phone and uh, I moved to doing that, like all my artist talks and stuff. So you need the render power. I need that render power. (laughs) Okay. Well, then then go for it. Yeah. No, no, I'll be fine. The render power of actually an old phone is great right now. Like you'd be fine with a a five-year-old phone. The render power is It's an interesting thing that the whole, the the computer is a more controlled operating system and the, the laptop is more open and... My work, my my JavaScript animations, they run smoother on phones than on the laptop. On the laptop, they might go faster for a while and then slow down, and it's less stable. It's something about the phone is such a well. The operating system thing. runs yeah. a lot of extra services, like it's not power efficient or memory yeah. efficient. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so I'm tempted to get the new phone, but I I'm on the iPhone Mini, which is two generations back, and. They don't make it anymore, mm. but I love that size. Um, yeah. But the, the the main reason I might get the new one or not or whatever is that when I want to show my work to older people, they look at my mini and they don't want to be embarrassed, so they pretend to see it, but it's too small for them to see anything. And they're like, oh, yeah, that looks good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, sometimes my eyes, I'm like, oh, this is a little bit small. Like end of the I day. Went, yeah, I'm, a, I'm full hog max. Like whatever, if they, if I could use my, like an iPad as a phone, I would. But um, then it's uncomfortable in your pants pocket, right? Yeah, that's true. Already the big one's uncomfortable. Like if I don't wear a belt, my pants fall down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. They don't yeah. run an Apple ad with like, you know, the Steve Jobs jeans falling down. Yeah, we, with suspenders. So Did you shit your pants or is come that with a suspenders? phone in your pocket? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Phone suspenders. Oh, yeah. Mm. But Market opportunity. What would be, if, if you, what would be your wish list of things that would immediately make you buy the new iPhone? Or like any new kind of phone product. There's a there's a couple of things on this one. The one I mentioned being like, are you getting anytime a you add phone? GPU? No, I don't. I don't care about form factor stuff like that. Okay. I honestly, like think, you don't want the you know Westworld phone. I don't want to have to, have to open something when it like I could have something that's already open. It's one extra yeah. step. Yeah. It seems like a step backwards. I don't know. And I then agree. you get this hideous fold in it. Ugh. <laughs> it's terrible technology it's also the, the folding thing feels so much like a booklet like a those evangelical watchtower booklets you get in the subway 
I would understand if it was 1995 or something and we're like, people won't understand the form factor of a piece of glass. <laughs> we, we must make it look like a tiny Well, notebook. that was the razor phone, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's retro, I guess, retro futurist. Um, yeah. I have a friend here in Calgary who has like, a, he's listening probably right now. Hey, Carl. And he has like an e-ink phone. Oh, that's uh, cool. And he's, but he's always using his partner's phone, which is an iPhone, to message me. And I'm like, you can't even use your phone uh, for it, your. It's di- one of those his, information diet phones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's like a teacher, and his, his students are like, "Where did you get that? They're impossible to get now. I want one." And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. From my perspective, I was, it's not actually hmm. for any functional need because you can't live in society with a phone like that. I was thinking about you Sorry, the other no. day <laughs> and how... Okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> You're welcome. A, a couple of things. So I, I watched this a video interview with Roman Signer. Do you know this artist? Mm, conjure an image, Roman Signer. He's Swiss and he does a lot of art with fireworks and things exploding oh. and, and canoes yes. on land and things like that. Kind yeah. of like the school of Fischli and Weiss and, and maybe, um, yeah. what's the name of the kinetic sculptures from Switzerland from back in the day? And like uh These self-destructing like machines? No, but oh. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So that kind of thing? I, and yeah. then I kept thinking, I, I often think about like, oh, what if I had my big break with a big gallery, but I don't want to be forced to only make one thing and et cetera. And I always think of Pippi Lotti Riest as someone who seems very free. Do whatever you want, mm-hmm. and then there's jo- she like uh, she takes a baseball bat to a car and just yeah, but and but she but like stuff. focus on big installations, more directed towards museums than to works mm. that are safe on the wall. And it made me think of you, of like uh, you don't want to compromise your work. You want to have an adventurous body of work and and uh, yes, uh, not something safe for the wall. And then I kept thinking of artists that succeeded in having an adventurous body of work. And a lot yeah. of them are in Switzerland or Austria. And there's something about the museum ecosystem and the galleries that oh. they accept a certain... And it made me think so much about how where you are forms the way you work. And I, I can't imagine anyone in New York making art with fireworks. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I had my first um, kind of major Canadian city museum show. I was just in a group show last week. But... Like it was a small little notch, but it felt good because it's the work is completely useless outside of the context. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, like there's no way I could sell it or anyone would understand it. Yeah. Or, um, but it seems uh, like yeah, Switzerland has this weird um, hybrid of publicly funded museums, but also very wealthy collectors. It's kind of the best of both <clears> worlds. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you're so, in theory, I think we've talked about this before, you're supposed to be able to, if you do the museum show, then your private gallery can sell your collectible work. I don't think that's one to one even, but, but, um, but if you had both, it's like the best ultimate, you know, best case scenario for your bottom line. I was watching the interview with Roman Zickner and I can put it in the show notes, but it's the Louisiana channel. They have this great YouTube channel. It's a museum in Denmark and Mm -hmm. he just talked about, it's always this uh, thing I struggle with that people assume if you are a crazy artist, then you must come from a rich family. But he explained he was an ac- architecture draftsman, draftsperson for 10 years, had an office job, and then 
went to night mm. school to study sculpture, did a residency in Poland and was very broke and it was still communist and just started making art with everyday objects because they were free. And definitely not a rich kid, but managed to create a career of very experimental, weird work, mostly video, Super 8 performances, etc., etc. Um, and it just made me think of you that you had this great experimental practice, but you chose that the day job is also very important. And like, what's the mm. difference there? And it, it's not a... But for example, I was I was thinking mostly of why you didn't go the teaching way. That That's what it was on my mind. I was like, Jeremy would be I such tried. a good teacher. I tried to do it. Yeah. It paid really poorly. <laughs> I know you like, I know you always yeah. mention that it something pays poorly, but you also know that if you keep going at it at some point Yeah. Yeah. I started too late. Like I was um I think when I started teaching I was like I had my first teaching thing at NYU that's when I started to try was in my mid thirties or something. And I calculated like ten more years of this. But if you like, if you had I been teaching in Canada, rent. wouldn't you have been able to find a job like yeah, that's true. I rejected Canada. That was a stupid thing to do, probably. Yeah, but it... I remember at the time, yeah. There's a lot of my friends now that just started teaching at, at a later age, so Constant Dillard has that was, a professor yeah, position in I, Germany now. and Yeah, I thought about that as well. But yeah. that, but that, I definitely would have done that if my like business career had not gone well. Yeah. Um, but it did go well. And so but that's it's also that part. you enjoy your business career. Well, that's what I mean by gone well. Like if it, if I had, there were a few occasions where I was miserable, like yeah, two two or three six month periods, and Kristen was like, "Something's got to change." Um, <laughs> but I do think, exactly. I, I, it, like, you're mm-hmm. you're a mystery to me. That's why I was thinking about it. I think I'm closer to like ninety nine point nine percent of other artists on the planet. Like they just no one, everyone's ashamed to talk about their day job as an artist. No, but I, I, I don't think that's what's on my mind. So I, I know you, mm. you're very open about the day job. That's not a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. But what's the mystery to me is that it does seem that in theory, you're kind of anti-capitalist and you believe that teaching is a, is a more noble way to spend your time than uh, helping yes, businesses grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in practice, yeah, you, in love, you love the corporate game too. I do. Yeah. I do. I was coaching a friend a couple of weeks ago on how to navigate like a huge corporation that you would know, like a brand name. And she was a contractor and she's like, well, how would I navigate these politics? And I was like, that's easy. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, first you do this, then yeah. you do that, then you got to do this. And she's like, it, she came back to me this week. She's like, it worked. How did you know? And it's like, because every one of these things, it's like, you know, how do you, how do you navigate an airport? It's yeah. like eventually it becomes kind of I easy. imagine you, we could make an AI cartoon series that is in the style of, uh, is it Merlin the Magician? What's that Disney cartoon? Or Dilbert? Oh, Merlin? No, no, uh, Merlin. The, the, the one, the scene where they do the dishes and with a spell of magic, all the dishes start to go in his bag. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In Fantasia. No, it's later. It's from the seventies. It's the same time as Jungle Book. Oh, okay. It's okay. it's the the story of the there's a sword in the in a stone and no one can get it out and this little kid gets it out. Oh, that's and, not Merlin. That's um, 
<laughs> like the anyway, yeah. What yeah. about it though? But I imagine some kind of magical cartoon character like you, but in a sort of '70s style drawing, going like, "This is how you do the corporate game. You say no to this, and you say yes to that, and you ask for a raise, and you." Say... <laughs> I could see you I, becoming a hit series of like, "How do you navigate?" I do. Game? I do recognize that, like. Um, it's like ethnographically, like, you know, in terms of like a social sphere, it's very far from the average experience, like in terms of your experience, like the average artist experience, because like it's, it, and it's almost like, it would be like watching, walking into like a meat manufacturing plant. They're cutting the cow's heads off and I'm just standing there being like, and this is where they cut the cow's heads off. Yeah. And it's normalized for me at this point. But, um, but it's almost so I don't like know if you, I see you reality would, You anymore. would reveal things that people are not supposed to know is like oh they do have the money they say they don't but they do have it yeah what do you want to know like i, yeah. I do know all, i i, I, I just googled it <laughs> the, the the movie is from 1963 not from the 70s it's called the sword in the stone and mm -hmm. the magician but, in the movie is called merlin oh but what's but that's a fable like yeah the, what is the fable of the sword in the stone though that was what i was trying to find anyway it's a sidetrack so. yeah but it's it, I think, if I remember correctly, Disney has started using the Xerox machine to Xerox pencil drawings straight to cellophane. Because before you would make a pencil drawing and then make a tighter drawing with either brush or pen, and it would be mm. a very e equal outline, but this gave a more lively outline. So it was a new era in cartooning where uh, it's, it's Jungle Book and this one where the line is very lively, like a like a rough uh, 2B pencil or something like that. Mm. Interesting. Side yeah, note. well, I'm, uh, yeah, it is a side note. I think in terms of, um, in terms of business, though, there, I, my, I've, I've explained it many times that I, my background's in sociology, and it is the most, it's the most, um, it's like a petri dish for a sociologist because it's like everything in the bigger society, but like yeah. artificially contained, more than in academia? People. I think I hear similar issues come up in academia of politics and fighting and things like that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I, I, I'm pretty good at the opposite of, of creating teams that enjoy their work where there are no politics, et cetera. But, um, it's, but it, it requires explicit effort. Um, and that's what I study. And, yeah. and then, yeah, so but I, I just Now that you see Kristen as a full-time teacher... Do you feel like, wow, she's having a lot of fun. I would love to do that. No, she brings back these like burdensome political discussions as well. Like any group of people working yeah. together towards a common goal have the same problems. Just seems that her goal is different than mine. Mine's to make the most amount of money and extract the most amount of labor. I yeah. mean, the le extract the most money from the least amount of labor. And hers is to like, uh, I don't really understand what academics do. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but hers I is mean, to advance it, it, research, it would obviously. be funny if if your initial persona was like, I'm an artist and a Marxist and blah, blah, blah. And then you reveal that your corporate game is actually more important to you than just a day job. And then later on, you reveal like, I'm all about the money. <laughs> well, so my much. mom calls me every week. And this week she called and she's like, I don't want you becoming a communist, Jeremy. <laughs> I was like, Why did she say that? Because I, I don't even know. Like I was talking 
I often talk about money. So yes, I do talk about money a lot because I'm, I'm interested in how money plays into decision-making. Um, my decision-making, the decision-making of others. I'm just interested. Like it's, it's hard to avoid. Um, it, like, can you think of one other thing other than food and sleep that people think about more often? I know I I was working on a tweet and I said, one tweet I was writing was some people like art. Everyone likes money. That's a hit tweet right there. (laughs) But, (laughs) and I often try. so I really learned from my friend Austin Lee that when you think about money during the art making process, yeah, yeah, it's a problem. And so I'm it's destructive. Well, so I'm I'm gonna paint, and it's fucking expensive. Every every test you do is just expensive. You're like hundred bucks here, hundred bucks there. Like, oh, I want to try a big one. Oh, two hundred bucks, four hundred bucks, six hundred bucks. It goes really fast. But at the same time, you know, you just go for it, and the more you experiment, the better, and things will work out. So I also think of those costs as like limiting costs for participation, which you'd want in any economy. Like, okay, you mean exp- that way you you keep it kind of elite? Yeah, you keep a smaller pool of, of producers. Yeah, like, well, that, that's kind of how I feel now. I know you're probably not following anything about NFT. Uh, no, I'm okay. but it's still going. <laughs> it's still going, and there's a lot of art blocks, uh, engine part. There's a lot of clones or people who use the art. I use the Artblocks backend and other people are, et cetera. Yeah. But this whole idea of making a set of generative works, there was a couple, there's millions now. And it's just like, there's so much of it. So I do feel like the painting is like this, because I used to be in this zone where I was making web pages as artworks. And there were like five people in the world doing that. It was not mm-hmm. a lot of competition. I just saw it, uh, like a LinkedIn post uh, from Kalani, uh, who ran, runs Transfer Gallery about a sale of an artist's um, face filters to the Tama Foundation or something? Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm, it's who, happening. Who's like, the artist? Ugh, I've forgotten the name of the artist. Why'd you put me on the spot? I'll have to look it up. I don't have it. I don't know. I was immediately infuriated. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, moving from. from Interactive art towards painting. There's even there's way more competition in painting, so that's not the reason. But it. No, I know. But when a group of competitors is small and someone else wins, you're like, ah, oh, that could have been me. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even feel get... like somebody else is winning, and I'm gonna keep doing NFTs every two yeah. weeks. I do a drop, etc. But there, it, it does feel less adventurous in the sense that before it was really every time you, I made a, I had to explain my work. Yeah, I remember like, yours. What, what do you, you mean were... a web page? What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, you were in a, You had that uh, first mover advantage and that innovator's kind of mindset, where you were trying new things and experimenting, and you're like, I don't know if this is gonna work. Then, and then it's like a bunch of things did work, which is like that's the dream, yeah. right? When something you don't know is gonna work, so yeah. by, you know, by by sheer either chance or brilliance does work. It's fa- it's fantastic, and any and I think you'll feel the same way with painting because it's new to you. Yeah, right? I think I hope it's refreshing. It, it could also be frustrating, of course. I mean, it it could be that I'm trying something and I just can't get it right. And yeah, I just recently went this weekend. I went back to this old software I used to use to do all my works. This Max programming language because a friend had a Was question. Is that the VJ software? Yeah, well, it's music and yeah, visual software. Max MSP. <clears throat> 
Yeah, it's like a visual programming language. Yeah. But a friend had a question like he wanted to make some music from Video Signal, and I was like, well, the only thing I can do that is Mac. So, and I it was like, I got right back into an old pair of shoes, and I felt mm. so comfortable because now everyone um, uses uh, Touch Designer. Yeah, everyone uses all these like pretty, uh, even more advanced like authoring type environments that less, they're almost less creative, right? Hmm. Uh, don't. Don't quote me on that, but everyone will. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're more of a wild garden type of thing. Well, like I use Snap Lens Studio, right? And it's like, I might as well be in Final Cut Pro or something. Yes, I can program, but you can do a lot without doing any programming. But as soon as you kind of let go of some of the programming, you do let go of some of the creative energy and power. Like And it's sort of like individuality. Yeah, exactly. Like. I was trying to do something that there's nothing, nowhere else you could do it, right? Like there, once you know a tool really well, especially that's so flexible yeah. and it's the flexibility of the tool that I'm referring to, not that no tool could do that. There are other flexible tools, but um, it's kind of like, I forgot that feeling for a moment. I was like, oh my goodness, I did this for 20 years, basically the software and I can do anything in it. It's crazy. Well, what, um, what's funny about the whole thing is, you could even see the computer as a very limited thing like oh it's this piece of glass we're all working on the same piece of glass you lose your individuality because you have no control over mm -hmm. the blah 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 but um i'm trying to say once you step out, but if you make still images you can manufacture those in so many ways or sculptures and you can make them out of copper or out of air or out of sausages or out of apples or whatever mm. uh, but when you make moving images you're almost always going to be on a screen. Like, I guess you can make kinetic sculptures, but that's not a moving image. So, well, I mean, I would argue that like, why limit yourself to the screen? But yeah, yeah. To your point, sculpture breaks through the screen, but so does social practice and yeah. Um, and then you aesthetics. go from moving image to performance, and yeah. But I'm I, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. distinctively saying moving images, and maybe specifically moving images across the network. And then you, mm -hmm. you're just, we're all going to be behind the same piece of glass. Well, you do see a lot of copycat behavior on screens for that reason too, right? Where yeah. it's like, you know, you see something, do something. And it's hard even to control what you, you know, your influences. Because you're like, it's like you're in a river and you're spitting up water. And was it a wave or was it you? Like, you're not even sure sometimes. Yeah. Or like, I felt that way. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of, did I do it? Is it an original act? Uh, or does it already exist? Yeah. I think that's also a postmodern condition. But it, it, the counter argument is that even though everything goes through the same network and you can find all the music on Spotify or Bandcamp, whatever, I went to Museum Folklang and then I discovered a bunch of new music because there was all kinds of music connected to the museum. There was mm. no way I could have found them. And they are on Spotify, but I just didn't know about it. And now yeah, I'm listening like... to it every day. And so there still is the local encounter so there, there must be a that's whole that's exactly it i was gonna yeah. say the context the local context and so have you it still matters are you discovering exciting things in calgary <laughs> it's back to your old trolling Calgary. no 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 uh, a genuine because right. I, I was in essen in germany and discovered new Germ new music but who would have thought oh yeah 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 i mean i don't i don't know if i can point to a specific example but i think like <laughs> like a place does does have contextual significance i i, I was talking about it this morning um but i'm, I'm being sincere to, i'm curious if through your network because like there's something of, in particular you're on the board of the artist space are you discovering new artists and yeah yeah exactly i am for sure and the most interesting thing is how 
isolated some of the references that they take for granted I've never heard of. And then I'll mention what I think is like a global big name. Like I might even mention like Jeff Koons and someone locally doesn't even know who that is. Yeah. Um, and so that's also well, It's not relevant to them. It's such a particular thing you have to see in a particular place. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. they're, you know, they're aware of other international artists that are, you know, from different, uh, like it's almost like there are different alternate histories, like West Coast kind of yeah. schools of thought and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, that yeah. I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And I'm starting to learn more of. Are you Certainly seeing, there's a lot more indigenous dialogue. Yeah, are you seeing a lot of indigenous art? Yeah, there's a lot more here for sure. And yeah. in Vancouver, where I'm spending a lot of my time now. Because I'm I basically like in Vancouver. the style of the West Coast indigenous art in the U.S. So I don't know how it is in Canada. but Yeah, like in Canada, like Haida Gwaii style is probably what you're referring to. It's like very graphic. Yeah. And um, it's predictable colorful. that I would like it. Yeah, it is predictable. Who <laughs> <laughs> would have thunk it? I mean, it's almost like a vector. Yeah, uh, in origin. Yeah, it's like yeah. ancient clip art. Yeah, I think you'd like Brian Young and as an like a classic uh, Canadian Indigenous artist that plays with popular culture and okay. the Haida Gwaii aesthetics and stuff like that. Yeah, or like not just Haida Gwaii, but like those West Coast Pacific Indigenous aesthetics. Um, anyway, yeah, so you get introduced to, to more of that and, uh, and that shifts your perspective, but it's like a different journey and group of people and I'm learning from them. It is an interesting question that in theory, when I think of you, I would think of someone who supports small artist run spaces and not the big art fairs and the, the predictable art world power structure. That's right. I, I feel like that's part of your ideology, but then... You're in Calgary now, you're on the board of an art center, so do you feel part of an art community or are you too busy or is, is that difficult? No, 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 I definitely feel part of that community, yeah. And I, I'm yeah. trying to meet with individual artists now um, just for studio visits, not but, for them but to see my you, art, for me to get to meet uh, them. Did you feel connected with certain work that you saw? Have I yet? Um, yeah. Hmm, that's a good question. I think, right, I'm not yet in that... Like you have to see more, like with wine, right? You have to have more than one glass from yeah. the winery yeah. before you like it. I think that's a terribly snobby example. <laughs> it's like uh, Cuban cigars or uh, diamonds. You need uh, at least more than one. Anyway, so uh, I, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm, I'm only a year in and I'm just starting to go to stuff. I'm yeah. going to go to a film festival this week and see what you know that's like, see some local mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, but... But, I mean, you're in New York, but you've spent time elsewhere. Like, your early days in New York, how, how did that feel to you when you, well, when you first arrived? I would say the most important thing of New York and the U.S., um, it's not a short answer, but basically the short answer is there's a lot more abstraction oh. other than other than Mondrian. That's the short answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's Because true. growing up in the Netherlands, my theory is that the Dutch museums were able to collect competitively until about 1960. Then the art market became, it couldn't keep up. And mm-hmm. so what happens is the, the Stedelijk Museum has the world's largest collection of Malevich, for example. For some reason, there was a whole dump of his works in Amsterdam, maybe like a crate that got lost. I don't even know how that happened. But they have an incredible Malevich collection. But they couldn't buy all the post-war stars, and maybe there's one Rothko, but not many. Mm-hmm. So you grow up saying, "Well, they did everything in the twenties. They, you know, Rochenko did the uh, monochrome uh, 
red, yellow, and blue. And Malevich did the black square. So everything after that is details and it's unimportant. And I, I grew up in that ideology. And of course, I love abstraction. I always did. And I just grew up, even my dad saying like, well, they did everything in the... Uh, everything <laughs> after 1920 is kind of repetition. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the US and this is where all the art was made. And then Richard Serra said something like, we're only at the first hundred years of abstraction. And that's a very powerful way of thinking that's much more hopeful. And so I would say that is the biggest contribution. The, the idea, like, why would you move to a big city or to a cent economic center? Is It gives me the feeling of possibility, even though it's very competitive and sometimes it's intimidating. But mm. seeing a lot of shows and seeing new things happen, um, I think... Well, you can see the spaces between, probably. Yeah, you, the and, more and you I, see, the I think more you can, can see, see things happening, and you, you see history happening, and you don't feel that way when you're in a smaller place. Mm -hmm. that, but there are big pros to being in a small place as well. Like, I think there was a lot of net art coming from smaller towns because they had the space to do that. Mm, I mean, yeah. I mean, the the thing is, if you're in a big place, you're 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 basically amplified by the voices around you as they, you know, there's kind of a cacophony that builds out of a big place. Like it promotes itself. It's like a, I think yeah, you have to I, work really hard to get yeah, out of yeah, a smaller yeah. place for sure. Maybe, but just for me personally, like what I take in, it's yeah. that seeing those things happen in real time and it's the horizontal. Yeah. And seeing things happening. And sometimes you're like, this is bullshit or this is interesting, but mm -hmm. you see it happening. You see it unfolding from up close. Mm -hmm. that's how I would describe it. Yeah. Yeah. For me at this point though, I think like the biggest, maybe not at this point, like in my career, um, I, cause I was in Toronto for a long, long time, but I didn't, re I never identified with the city locally. <laughs> so from an, as an artist, like mm -hmm. I just could not make it make sense. And no one, like I've said it many times before, even if people did like what I was doing, it was almost like they were fans of me, in another world, like, you know, like I was an alien that they were bringing in to tour around and say, look at this freak or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I only, the only place I ever felt at home or, and still to this day, I think where I feel at home is in, in Germany. Yeah. And it was traveling to Germany. Well, that maybe goes back to my argument of the Swiss artist that there's a certain style yeah. of curation and institutions that supports, uh, experimental yeah. more installation or performance and it doesn't have to be a thing you can hang on the wall yeah and people there would just be like nodding their heads and be like of course this is fantastic you should keep doing this yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. um why would you ever do anything other than and do you feel or, you know, connected yeah, to, to the sort of uh buffalo new york type of video art history i did start with that and that was like uh, something i did really connect with but it was limiting after a while because you know, people would set up these careers that were like, and I'll do this festival and I'll go to the other festival and then the next festival. Mm -hmm. And that didn't, didn't like, it was like what you were saying earlier, but a, a screen, like the idea of being constrained to a single piece of glass or in the case of a, a festival a projection, also I'm anti-projection because uh, that's like video does not belong in, in projected light. That's just like a video ideology thing. Uh I'm sure our video, our like small audience of like former video art people that on are, are are nodding, but 
Like if you're from that, you're like, well, I, I'm really kind of cheating by being in these festivals anyway. This is not what I was meant to do. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand. Sometimes you just see an avenue and you're like, should I go down that lane? But I can't go back. And you're like, no. Well, also the festival circuit ended up dying in the in, in America, the experimental festival I, circuit. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but I do think you well, have like a tendency. One tenth. I think you have a tendency to think too much. Uh, if I'm not participating, it's dead. <laughs> you, you, I see this pattern where you you say like, how do I say this? Like the teaching thing. You're like, oh, I'm too old. It's not going to happen. Of course, if you had to, if there was, <laughs> if there was no other option, you would have figured it out. Yeah, but I'm just like you with the moving, you know, moving into painting or whatever. You get bored. Everyone gets bored, yeah. and they move on to the yeah. next thing, and you move on to the next thing, and the next thing. And I don't want to. I really like. It. I hate being put in a box. I hate to be called a video artist. I hate being called a performance artist. I, you know, I artist. Hated, I, if I, yeah, if you called me a management artist, maybe I'd be interested. But like, <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I do think I you don't, would be miserable if you were in a studio by yourself all day, with no. Because I have a friend who's always like. Oh yeah, why don't you use your skills just to do what you did best? Like to go out and do, you know, if you just focused on doing videos or, and I think that it, you I just get you bored. Really like, bored. yeah, yeah. I mean, that today so, it, it was a very rainy day, the whole day. It's just stopped raining now, so I was kind of I felt a bit trapped, and I was like, ah, oh, I want to go to a gallery. I want to go for lunch with a friend or something. I want to go out. And I was just trapped, but I. It's the best. I just made some good sketches that I hadn't done for a few weeks, That's great. and I got a bunch of ideas out. And um, there's there's something to being trapped that works. For sure, I love that feeling. That's what the winter yeah. is to me. Yeah, but then when you say I don't want to be boxed in, but if someone did box you in as like, oh, he's the Snapchat performance artist, maybe it would be good. Maybe. I but I, like, I, I do think honestly that's not why I started becoming you know, an artist in the first place. No, it was I because think I, you're did, I wanted a very to... social person, so I think you're just happiest when you're performing for an audience. I mean, if I if I told you what you had to make, you'd be pretty angry about it too, right? Like, um, but who's telling you what to make? If, well, no, I think that's the it's an artificial constraint. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you had to make paintings and you were never allowed to touch a computer again, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but the, 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 I mean, the whole, some people are happy with that. Yeah, I think the whole, um, but what I was alluding to is that maybe sometimes you see an avenue and the, the money is not clear and then your brain immediately goes like, that's impossible. Mm. But of course, the if, with the teaching example, I am mm -hmm. a million percent sure you could have figured that out if you wanted to. I yeah, don't think I don't you're too know, old to be a teacher. But there aren't that many teachers that like, yeah, well, I don't know. You never know. You have to yeah. do what you can. I don't want to, you're supporting other people. They're, you know, you're, how, you're trying to build a life that's bigger than yourself. I think that's something else that brings me great joy. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just about me or you like. Um, yeah. But of course you're a teacher so, in, in, as a manager as well. So I'm not discounting that, but. But I founded a school. Like I also, <laughs> like that, and honestly, like. And I co-founded it, so I have other teachers that I teach with. But um, there are other ways to achieve a goal in the same line that everyone else takes. And I've always believed, and I think you have too, and this is why I think we get along, even though it sounds like we're on opposite sides of the spectrum. 
but that we'll find our own path, regardless of what tell, people tell us is the right way to mm-hmm. do something. I hate that idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. I get angry if someone's like, well, you can only do it this way. I'm like, oh, let me show you. I can do it this way too. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And I refuse to be told what to do. That's been true since I was very young. And I won't be told there's only one way to do something I, or one I, way to be happy. Or... I agree with you to a point, but I also agree. I, I feel very strongly that I grew up in a certain framework and I feel free, but I'm not free at all. Like I, I've been set yeah, sure. up to live the life I live. And I think it was there was no other option because my background, my parents, the country I grew up in, the, the mix of nationalities, the art background, like it's... It's a very obvious uh, result of a certain algorithm. I, I, I don't. In retrospect. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Like, it would have been much more surprising if I had become a stockbroker. Yeah, I think if you talked to people when I was growing up, they would have predicted I'd be exactly what I am today. <laughs> to be honest with you. So, like, <laughs> yeah. It's probably, I probably have been deterministic, like, but without knowing. Working it, with people but, uh, and software efficiencies and people. And yeah, because I was running businesses when I was a teenager. So, yeah. I, I, I enjoy it. I've been doing it in weird ways for a long time. But what I don't like is when an art teacher or a critic or you know, someone I might do a studio visits like, why haven't you thought about doing, you know, silkscreen prints? I'm like, because it, it makes no fucking sense for what I'm, my research, right? So it's not what I'm passionate about. So I think like it has to make sense for most artists. what about the argument artists, of, of um, stepping outside of your comfort zone? I think that's a good argument. It's a good counter argument to my um, using a swear word to emphasize my point. But the, the, you know, you can try those things. It doesn't mean you have to like them. What's, and what's an art project where you felt like you stepped out of your comfort zone? Well, I've done it many times. Yeah. Um, when I first started working with other artists, that, uh, that uh, this was probably like less than a decade ago, mm-hmm. when I first started thinking like, well, I can't possibly make work on my own and talk about, you know, inclusion or sociology or like, you know, people working together. <laughs> like, how will I ever... I can't explore these ideas alone. Yeah. It was very uncomfortable to work with other artists, especially if they didn't agree with me. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're an artist thinking on your own, you're like, I have an idea. I, I draw it or I, I put yeah. pen to paper or yeah. pixel to screen. Yeah, there's no one that says no, yes or no, I can't do that. It's not even um, the yes or no, it's, it's the are you sure? That's the key. Yeah, the are you sure. The self-doubt definitely enters in. Yeah. So then, yeah, you have to be open to this idea that, the other people are going to take you, there's like a trust that they're going to take you somewhere you didn't expect. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. And you're like, I don't even like this work, but I just keep doing it. Um, And sometimes it is good. Just like sometimes your imagination takes you somewhere you didn't expect. And did I ever tell you, like, I don't know what your policy is. I think it might be the opposite of this, but probably 15 years ago, I came up with this just say yes policy but if someone asks me if I'll do, if I want to do something, a show, like, doesn't matter who it is, I like work on something, I, I have to say yes. I'm not allowed to say no. Why did you come to that idea? Because of the limiting factors we're talking about, because otherwise I'm stuck with my own okay. thoughts and I don't really get anywhere new, to your point about discomfort. Yeah. Um, I, 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 but I, it, did yeah. The, I said this thing to Austin when we were discussing about which pro- how do you decide which project you do? Because if you do too many, you lose focus and you don't 
the, you want to give the ones that are most important the most attention. That's a corporate idea for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so then I, I said this to him and I kept the, saying this, I kept this as advice to myself as well. And it's like, don't do something unless it's really exciting. Like if mm-hmm. someone comes up with a project and it's the type of project where you're like, I can't believe I'm able to do this. That's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, but sometimes though, like people come to me with project ideas that I think suck and then they end up being interesting in other ways or for other reasons. So mm-hmm. I cannot say, I cannot with a straight face say that there's a high success rate here. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and the, yeah. there's a low success rate, but it, I find it gratifying. Uh, so you had one or two years of extreme travel and, and a, a very high amount of performances, right? When was that? Yeah, probably like 2016. Yeah. And then you had to decide to turn it down a notch because the travel was wearing you down. A little bit, but the pandemic also kind of was like a... Okay, yeah, yeah. The real pause and that kind of stuff. I mean, for the first time, then the eye thing more recently. I was saying to Kristen this weekend, I have to get back to like drumming up business, but which is an odd place to be as an artist, right? Where you're like well, I don't have that many commissions in the pipe or I don't know what, you know, what's next, you know, because sometimes you're just rolling with things, right? Yeah. But Um, would you do something like a, uh, I could imagine having a daily video casting is something that forces you to engage with an audience daily? Well, I don't need to do that. I have a bunch of stuff that I'm starting, but okay, like you do have to force yourself to start new things. So, yeah. Well, it's it's the Um, analogy, the, the example of, the rainy weather and there's nothing else to do so you have to yeah yeah exactly yeah i'm looking forward to the winter i know no one is but i'm really looking forward to it um mm. for like studio time uh, yeah. in isolation yeah and i'm inviting you, some artists to come here how's the residency idea going well i want to i want to officially kick it off this winter so i'm pretty excited about that like i want to put you heard it first right and, here <laughs> I want. I mean, I get. I get excited anytime I get to build a brand and a website. Like, yeah, it's just still so exciting. What's the name of the um, residency? I don't know. I've been toying with a few things. The Famous building new I live media in is super called, residency. Well, it's known as the Sugar Cube. This this house in the okay. neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. and it's like a. It looks like a white sugar cube. That kind of sounds political. The, the sugar cube has like yeah, colonial connotations. That. Maybe it could be the Jeremy Bailey New Media Institute because I. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. The new, we'll the famous out. new media institute for famous residents. Well, there used to be the Banff New Media Institute here. Yeah, um, but it went defunct. Uh, what happened? So I could revive that. They combined it because they decided new media wasn't different from visual arts, which I think I supported at the time. But now, in retrospect, seems like a terrible idea because it was very unique. Um, there were no, so, there's no so new media. So when you when you remove the emphasis on new media, you kind of lose the emphasis and then you lose the, the the goal or the mission yeah i think there's it's like particle physics or quantum physics or something like it, it collapses on itself it never yeah, exists yeah. again uh, because the pressures outside of the new media are so high right like yeah. if you think about it you know it crushes yeah new media I, does require some kind of special preservation I, I, a friend of ours damien damjanski he's in brazil right now for a residency and meeting with a lot of curators and everything and he's like everywhere he goes everybody and all this zero computers it's just i think the mm-hmm. art world is like okay 
we want to be as far away from the computer as possible. That's what art is for. Yeah, I mean, maybe 20 years ago they were all about computers and then yeah. they ran away from it. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, I'm very excited for your paintings and I, I want to make sure that we're checking in on that. I don't want to build it up that. too much because I might, I might just end up thinking, I like the studio empty. We'll but I think what would be more, more exciting than you completing a successful painting would be if it was like did not work at all and you ended up doing something completely different with that space yeah. that you yeah. didn't expect. Um, and I yeah. think that's exciting too, right? Like you're going to be like with Casey Neistat making YouTube videos. I hope he's not there. Building. <laughs> he's there all the time. I, I see his videos. I hope he's just traveling. Uh, yeah. I can't stand those videos. Oh, it's the worst. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Hey, bro, I heard you talking shit on the podcast. What's going on? You got to get a Sharpie, start writing on cardboard, you know. What if, start... what if like, a couple of weeks later you hear, like, artist assassinated by Casey Neistat for talking shit on this podcast? <laughs> I don't think so. He's not. He's a, he's a kind soul. You should give him a second chance. He's had a hard I, I, time. He came back from L.A. just like you. You have a lot in common. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he's great. But I I, I um, I'm not a fan of the YouTube influencer game. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I I mean that the other thing about YouTube is the YouTube that I started in doesn't exist anymore. Your channel doesn't exist anymore. No, it does, but like the culture, like YouTube culture shifted so radically toward. But you're like a, you. a Casey Neistat. Who cares about the the context? Well, we just we started this whole podcast talking about like how the, context was so important, and then I know, like, but but when you think about, about context, me, my my web page is uh, the you know the way I started working in 1999. Social media came along. You could have been like, well, no one goes to websites anymore, and then like a couple of years later. The NFT thing happens and the web pages make a lot of sense again. So Yeah, but you'd make something different today than and that's all I'm saying. Not really. <clears throat> For sure. Like I still show I'm showing like one of my videos um from that era, like next month in China. Yeah. And like, you know, like it's not like that work is gone. But yeah. I don't need to make it again. Like I don't yeah, need to yeah, make it yeah. twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway. And and um I'm very curious. I, I wish we could have a sort of, you could be a newscaster from Calgary and show us the edgy things that are happening that we don't know about. <clears throat> I was thinking of starting a web page, actually. <laughs> it's all mm. about web pages today. Square but like, be, because they don't have a single kind of source of truth for what's going on in the city. There is kind <laughs> of. And you like don't a think it's problematic that you, as a privileged white man, is that source of truth? <laughs> So I want to become the new editorial source of truth for what's good. You want to be <laughs> the, like the, the, the Vogue, <laughs> Paris Vogue of Calgary. Yeah, yeah I want to be like the goop. Uh, like, yeah. you know, Gwyneth Paltrow started with that email. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been working anyway. on my email list. but uh, So I'm using MailChimp. And yep. I basically think it's just as locked in as any other social network. I tried to export it, and it's so weird, the format, how it exports things. And uh, you can't really mm -hmm. delete context. You archive them, and it's all... You know, it's owned by uh, Intuit now, too. Yeah, it's all... It's very clear it's all made to keep you there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's always been pretty bad technology, Mailchimp, because it, they never updated it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like the the technical stack's pretty ancient. Yeah, but it was always the simplest, easiest to use. But I think they've added so much stuff to it. Like you can do advertising. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I think they lost their way. It's horrible. Um, and then it, if you don't want the logo at the bottom of the email, it's $27 a month. <laughs> That's right. It's cost yeah. of doing business. I mean, you can write that off. Yeah, that, but I don't know. There must be a better tool. But I, I used to use this thing called PHP Mailer back in the day on my own web server. But those days are over. I think you can't run your own mailing list. You'll be flagged as spam immediately. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to use Apple Mail, so <clears throat> you do have Max, to use. Did you unfortunately, use like yeah. Max Bulk Mailer? No. You that tool was that. That was one. Desktop. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sweet. Yeah. I want to own software again. Yeah. Just own yeah. it all. Yeah. Gotta get back into my wares game. But uh, I, do you get my emails from my mailing list? <clears throat> Uh, if I do, I don't read them. No, it, it goes in <laughs> your mind. Yeah, for, for sometimes. I mean, I have like 65,000 unread messages right now. So, um, But every <laughs> once in a while, I do I do catch a glimpse of what you've got going on. Let's see what we've got new in the updates. Uh, right now we've got uh, New York Times, Canada Post, Concierge, Namecheap, Zillow. <laughs> I don't know where you are in this. It would be like... Yeah, because I just a few weeks. I'm back. not very good at grooming this. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty bad at the whole email thing. It sounds <clears> like you need a sip um, of water. I do. I'm probably. I think we're probably getting to the end of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so we, we have a. Field this is supposed recording. to be shooting the shit. Yeah, we do have field recording. From Kai Udema from <clears throat> Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and um, we won't say what it is. I think he wrote that the field recording is more interesting if we don't describe it. So it's oh, a mystery. But it has, does have a name. Do we say the name? It's a no, no. I think lost. Let's okay. keep it. Let's keep it uh, mysterious. Mystery. Okay. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Right, we are looking for questions, questions, so that we. Yeah. You know, if you don't want us to ramble, <laughs> shoot the shit. If you don't us, if you don't want us to just talk about ourselves. Yeah, or have Raphael like question: Is Jeremy really an artist? <laughs> for another hour (laughs) i do think i like i must keep you up at night sometimes like because you said you've been thinking of me but what time of night was it was it 4 a.m 3 a.m no 6 a.m how does he do why why is he so senseless (laughs) no i I love contradictions and i think people are just walking contradictions and i feel like you said a lot about social practice and wanting to make the world a better place but you decided not to be a teacher, so it's interesting to me. Yeah. I, I'm very interested yeah. in the subconscious and like your family baggage telling you, Jeremy, be safe. You should own 12 homes. Well, I'll give you a good, I'll give you an example just to say goodbye on, which is when I met Kristen, she hated, she was a painter. So she was where you want to be. And sorry, I'm just I'm giving you hard time. But she hated it and she's like, I want to be, I want to do performance. So she started what, performing. What did she hate about uh, it? She hated the people, the like kind of the pretension. She was even, you know, like she hated the canvas. So she wasn't using canvas anymore. She was like 
draping sheets of paint over things and stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so she was trying to break free and she realized she was more of like interested in the performative aspects of what she was doing. So she started to perform and her performances were pretty good, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say they were, she was just starting. So she was just starting to find her voice, but they were all of her as a teacher. She came up with the Mm. pseudonym professor Schaefer and she was like grading people's art shows and, you know, doing little classroom performances with audiences. And and then she was like struggling with it one day. She's like, you know, this is really stressful and I'm not sure, you know, I'm enjoying it that much, but I really like this topic. And I was like, why don't you you become a teacher? Um, And so, you know, 15 years later, she is a teacher um, of teachers, ironically. And she was... My dad was the same teacher of teachers, yeah. There you go. And this weekend she was talking to someone and introducing herself and she's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I teach teachers, but it's a performance. I'm, I have a student, <laughs> Professor Schaefer, but she is a fucking professor. <laughs> so she's kind of come full circle now that she's they, an actual professor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it only took like 10 years. So anyway, uh, maybe I'll find my way back there. Yeah. I, I Yeah. It's very interesting. I, I'm, I I was saying to Christina today, if I'd ever go back to learning or university or anything, I would like to study psychology just because I want to know the wiring of the human mind a bit. Well, yeah, I think you, you, you like you can study that. Just yeah, you know, I could also just read a book, but I'm too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's top. Maybe that's a good topic for another day. Psychology. Yeah, there we go. Okay, All right, thanks, well, uh, thanks let's listen to Kai Udema's uh, field recording and uh, see you all next week. See you next week. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye.